0: Hey, it's Craig. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Canadian History X early and ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker,
1: you'll find what you came for here, and more.
0: So ask yourself... greetings and welcome to another episode of canadian history x if you like you can support the podcast for as little as three dollars a month just go to patreon.com slash canada ehx you can also donate to the podcast by going to canada ehx.com and clicking donate or alternatively you can buy me a cup of coffee just go to buymeacoffee.com slash craig all of these links are also in my show notes If you like, you can email me at craig at CanadaEHX.com. You can find me on Twitter. My handle is Craig Baird, C-R-A-I-G-B-A-I-R-D. And I'm on Instagram and TikTok, where I put up daily history videos. And my username is Bairdo37. You can also find weekly videos on my YouTube channel about Canada's history. Just go to youtube.com slash C slash Canadian History X. And if you want, you can find transcripts of every single episode I've ever done. That's over 700 episodes of all my podcasts and just go to CanadaEHX.com. And all of these links are also in my show notes. Now, what I'm doing right now is a bit of a donation drive. You don't have to give, but if you do, well, I'll really appreciate it. So if you give $5, you get a thank you at the start of the next episode of Canadian History X, Canada's Great War, and from John to Justin, and on social media. If you give $10, you get everything from the $5, plus this episode is sponsored by, with your name at the start. I'll also state it's sponsored by you on social media. If you give $20, you get everything from the $5 and $10, plus a second episode sponsored by you and promotion of something you're working on. And if you give $50, you get everything from the $5, $10, $20, plus you get to choose a topic for me to cover on Canadian History X. And on that note, I want to say that this episode is sponsored by two people who remained anonymous, Darren, as well as Nathaniel. Thank you. I truly appreciate it. The land of Melville, Saskatchewan has only been settled for little over a century. Before that, it was the land of the Indigenous who followed the bison through the region over the centuries. The Indigenous groups were primarily the Blackfoot and the Cree, along with the western edge of the Anishinaabe. Eventually, the bison started to disappear due to overhunting by Canadians and Americans. And nearing starvation, the Indigenous of the area would sign Treaty 4 and move to a series of reserves in what would be eastern Saskatchewan. Today, Melville sits on Treaty 4 land. The settlement era of Melville begins, as with so many other prairie communities, with the arrival of the railroad. In the early 1900s, the Grand Trunk Railway was approaching the area. In 1906, the first parcel of land in what would one day be Melville was sold to a Mr. Pope. He was sure that the land he had bought would one day be part of a city. He was right. Today, Melville is the smallest city in Saskatchewan. Melville officially became a city on August 1st, 1960. In 1908, the railroad was finished in the area and Melville was officially born. It would be natural to assume that Melville was named for Herman Melville, the author of Moby Dick, but that would not be the case. Melville was named for Charles Melville Hayes, who was the president of the Grand Trunk Railway. Unfortunately, Hayes would only live four more years. In April 1912, he was on a voyage from Britain to North America on the RMS Titanic, and he would not make it off the ship. The future of Melville was assured when it was decided that the community would be the second divisional point on the railway west of Winnipeg. With the construction of its rail yard, people began to flood into the area. By this point, 30 blocks had been surveyed and staked. Lots began to sell for $60 to $400, which would be about $1,600 to $11,000 today. The population of Melville began to explode as well. In 1907, the population was 66 people, which rose to 625 people by 1908, and by 1909, Melville had over 1,000 people. In 1910, the Montreal Gazette reported, Three years ago, Melville had but one building. Today, it has over 500 buildings, and this number is constantly being added to, Every day the traffic on the main line of the Grand Trunk Pacific is increasing, and with every increase comes an addition to the force of railroad employees making Melville their home and headquarters. Coming out of the community, there were 20 different rail lines that spread across the country, and even into the United States. In 1911, the Grand Trunk Pacific Railway built a new third-class railway station in the community. This type of station was designed to handle small traffic volumes, And for decades, this station was the focal point of activity in Melville as the railroad was one of the largest employers in the community. In 1977, the station was relocated and the restoration of the building began. Today, it is the Melville Railway Museum and if you love trains, this is a great place to visit. Inside the museum, you will find antique communication equipment including telegraphs and vintage telephones. And on the property, there is also the original station, now a municipal heritage property, and a steam engine a coal tender a flat car and the original caboose the locomotive was built in 1919 in montreal and was used to pull passenger cars for decades as well as some freight the caboose was built in 1895 by the grand trunk railway and in 1925 it was transferred to the canadian national railway this caboose would serve as the bunkhouse for the train crews after its use was over in the 1980s it was completely restored it was then used as the tourism melville office until 2006 When a new tourism office was built in the community with melville expanding quickly the town leaders decided that the community needed a new city hall built of brick and stone this two-story building was constructed from 1912 to 1913 and features a large central dome that helped to become a landmark in the community with optimism for the future melville along with other communities in saskatchewan built buildings that may have been too large for their time in all 19 such buildings were erected in saskatchewan and the Melville City Hall is the only one that remains intact in its original form. It is also one of only two to have a central dome over its auditorium. Standing today, it is a beautiful building to visit, and in 1991 it was made a provincial heritage property of Saskatchewan. In 1913, the Luther Academy was built in Melville. This large, gothic-style building became one of the most noticeable structures in the entire community, and it would remain the home of the Academy until 1926 when it moved to Regina. At that point, the building became the St. Paul's home for the aged and the orphans. The organization would stay in the building until 1973 when it finally closed. For the next 10 years, the building sat empty, but in 1983, it was turned into the Melville Heritage Museum, and more on that later. Today, the building is recognized as a municipal heritage property. The Melville Millionaires have existed since 1908 and are one of the oldest teams in Saskatchewan. Since 1970, the team has been a member of the Saskatchewan Junior Hockey League, and while it has never won a championship, the team has had several notable players take to the ice for them. These players include Ron Hextall, Brian Propp, and Chris Kunitz. Another player who wore the Millionaire's jersey was Eddie Shore, one of the greatest players in NHL history who played for them in the 1923-24 season. I actually looked at Eddie Shore's career on my other podcast, Pucks and Cups, so be sure to check it out. The reason I bring up the current team is because the original team, which played senior hockey in the Southern Saskatchewan Hockey League, was one of the best teams to ever play in the province. In 1915, the Millionaires became not only the best team in Saskatchewan, but the best amateur team in the entire country. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? By winning the Southern Saskatchewan Hockey League, they were given possession of the Allen Cup, having defeated the previous holders, the Regina Victorious. Once the Millionaires had the Cup, they had to then defend it, and they would do so in two challenges during 1915 against some of the best teams in the country. In the first Allen Cup challenge that the Millionaires faced, the Prince Albert Mintos played them in a two-game series. In those two games, the Millionaires won both games, scoring 15 goals to the 13 scored by the Mintos. With that challenge win, the Millionaires were able to keep the Allen Cup. The Edmonton Bulletin would state, quote, Perhaps the most pleasing part of the game from a Melville standpoint was the performance of Moyness. It was his second game this season and he showed all the earmarks of a star, which was the case last year. The challenges didn't stop there, though. The Toronto Victorias then challenged Melville. Once again, Melville won the series, but this one was a bit closer. In the first game, the Millionaires and Victorias both scored eight goals for a tie game. In the second game, the Millionaires won 7-3, and by outscoring Toronto 15-11, to Melville once again held on to the Allen Cup. In the third challenge of 1915, the Winnipeg Monarchs took on Melville in another two games. In the first game, Melville won 4-3, but the second game was won by the Monarchs by a score of 4-2, and by outscoring Melville 7-6, Winnipeg took possession of the Allen Cup. The Edmonton Bulletin reported, quote, Battling as they have never battled before and playing the most sensational hockey they have ever shown after being against one of the hardest positions a hockey team ever met, the Monarchs of Winnipeg came from behind in the second half and won back the Allen Cup when they defeated Melville here tonight. Thus ended the Allen Cup championship run for the Melville Millionaires. Unfortunately for Melville, their name was removed from the Allen Cup 18 years later by the Canadian Amateur Hockey Association because they did not hold the trophy at the end of the year. In 1979, the Melville Millionaires were inducted into the Saskatchewan Sports Hall of Fame. As a side note, I also did an episode on the Allen Cup on my other podcasts, Pucks and Cups, so be sure to check it out. So why was the team called the Millionaires? One story, which isn't true, says the name came from the fact that Charles Melville Hayes was on the Titanic with a group of millionaires hoping to invest in Melville. The story is nice, but again, it's not true. In truth, when the millionaires were assembled to win the Allen Cup by Goldie Smith, several well-known players for the time went to the team. Several critics grumbled that Melville would have to be a town of millionaires to attract such a talent. Smith liked the idea of this, and the name millionaires stuck to the team. Melville actually has a fascinating history with NHL players coming from the community. In all, 14 people from Melville have gone on to play in the NHL to various levels of success. But no player has had the success of Sid Abel one of the greatest NHL players ever. Abel was born in Melville on February 22, 1918. As a young man, he gained the nickname of Old Bootnose. And in 1938, he would go on to play for the Flint Flon Bombers and then spent two years playing for the Detroit Red Wings and its minor league affiliates. In 1940, he went full-time with the Red Wings and he would become the team captain in 1942 and he won the Stanley Cup in 1943. After serving in the Second World War with the Royal Canadian Air Force, he would be joined on the Red Wings by Gordie Howe and Ted Lindsay. As part of the production line, he would win the Stanley Cup in 1950 and 1952, and the Hart Memorial Trophy in 1949. Upon his retirement in 1953-54, Abel had 283 points in 612 games. In 1969, he was inducted into the Hockey Hall of Fame, and in 1996, his number 12 was retired by the Detroit Red Wings. In 2017, he was named one of the 100 greatest NHL players ever, and he would pass away on February 8th, 2000. By 1938, Melville was gaining notice for its success as the largest divisional point between Winnipeg and Saskatoon. At the time, it had a population of 4,000 people, and the community had also recently built a new arena at the cost of $65,000, which was no small amount during the Great Depression. In June 1939, Melville briefly became the largest community in the entire province, It was all thanks to the arrival of King George VI and Queen Elizabeth, who were travelling Canada on their famous royal tour of Canada. I actually looked at this royal tour in January on my podcast Canadian History X, which is this one, so be sure to check it out. The royal couple arrived in Melville at 10pm on the day of their visit, and 60,000 people were waiting for them. Now this was much more than the community's population, and with such a huge influx of people into the community, the royal couple decided to spend several hours in Melville, rather than the originally planned 10 minutes. In the crowd were 600 First World War veterans, 10,000 schoolchildren, and a 200-piece orchestra. R.J. Carnegie would say of the stop in Melville, quote, Never throughout the tour did I see such unbridled enthusiasm as then, end quote. The community is in the central time zone, but for the royal visit, and to keep everything on the same day, the community temporarily switched to the mountain time zone. William Lyon Mackenzie King, the Prime Minister at the time, would write, quote, We got the surprise of our lives when we reached Melville. There was the largest outdoor massing of children and others that I have seen at any of the stations. I think the King and Queen were almost taken off their feet by the surprise as they went to the platform." With its population swelling to 60,000 people, Melville became the largest city in Saskatchewan for a few hours.
2: Melville has always been a railroad town, but these tracks were never more important than in the summer of 1939. They brought King George and Queen Elizabeth to Melville and for one glorious day this small prairie town became a city. From now on they keep constantly on the move for all the provinces await their coming. Hours of standing and waiting just to see them pass. An occasion that may never occur again. The 1939 Royal Tour drew huge crowds at every stop. The King and Queen traveled across the country and back by train. But not just any train. Regally decorated, it was called the most magnificent train ever seen in Canada. Melville was to be one of the final stops on the tour. And the anticipation grew as the day drew closer. The town's elevator was specially decorated for the visit.
1: was very exciting, very exciting.
2: Marg Redenbach is the curator of the Melville Museum. But in 1939, she was a 13-year-old schoolgirl waiting for her first glimpse of royalty.
1: Very, very special. And I think it was to most people then. Because we didn't have a great many famous people visit, visit us, especially in Saskatchewan. And other than the trains that brought people through, we didn't see people, special people.
2: They informally mingled with the crowds to speak and walk with all. The odd respect and devotion of their subjects are heartfelt and sincere. The royal visit was the first of its kind in Canada. People felt the monarchy was finally recognizing this country. For many, the tour also signaled the end of the Dirty 30s and the promise of better times ahead. Whatever the reason, people were ready to party. There were picnics, horse races, and ball games.
1: I do remember going uptown that afternoon... And things were already at a fever pitch, you know, with lots of people coming into the cafes and so on. It wasn't bad until, I guess, around supper time, and the restaurant started running out of food.
2: The royal train rolled across Saskatchewan that day. A staggering number of people gathered along the route just to catch a glimpse of King George and Queen Elizabeth as they passed by. The royal couple wouldn't reach Melville until after dark, but crowds started gathering early in the day from Yorkton and Kamsak, Kenora and Esterhazy, even towns in the northern United States.
1: Yorkton pretty well emptied out to come here, and uh, so did most of the other communities, actually. This was big. I don't think anything this big has ever had happened here be- since then.
2: Nobody in Melville was prepared for the flood of people, except maybe the mayor.
1: The mayor actually... Had the time changed temporarily for that night so the beer parlors could stay open an hour longer, they went on a different time. <laughs> and then they said they still thought the beer parlors were open till two or three anyway. <laughs> so that must have been where a lot of the men were.
2: <laughs> At 10 o'clock that night, the roar of the crowd signaled the arrival of the
1: royals. I mean, the noise just increased in sound. And then when the king and queen appeared in the platform, that was just deafening.
2: Once the formalities were done, the king and queen mingled with the crowd, shaking hands with the lucky few, creating memories that would last a lifetime. The people were starstruck. The royals were overwhelmed themselves. A thank you telegram sent later by King George stated, the queen and I will not easily forget the scene which greeted us at Melville. That's because in a few short hours, the town had grown from 4,000 people to 60,000 making it a city for that one day.
1: It sort of cemented the British Empire a little closer because, you know, the monarch wasn't far away anymore. Our monarchy wasn't far away. And uh, we were so happy that we were included. (laughs)
2: Whether by design or coincidence, the royal tour drummed up loyalty and devotion to the crown just weeks before the start of World War II and thousands of Canadians responded by giving their lives for the Commonwealth, including many who were here that extraordinary day. I'm Bill Wazer.
0: On July 28, 1978, Queen Elizabeth would follow in the footsteps of her father when she too came to Melville for a visit. She arrived at 2 p.m. in the community where hundreds of people lined the streets to see her train arrive. She then took a car to Melville School to honor it on its 70th anniversary. She would then watch a performance by Ukrainian dancers, and she met with local indigenous leader, Noel Williams. A large crowd also gave the Queen, who was accompanied by Prince Philip, a rousing send-off. If you'd like to learn more about the history of Melville, then the best place to visit is the Melville Heritage Museum, located in the aforementioned Luther Academy building. In the building, the museum has over 10,000 artifacts from the town's history, as well as 1,000 books including textbooks written in German, English, Ukrainian, Latin, and Greek. Across three floors in the basement, there are 20 rooms that look at the history of the area. These include recreations of a chapel, the Grand Trump Pacific CNR room, a sports history room, and a military room. There are also over 100 original black and white framed photographs and murals that depict the first quarter century of Melville. If you visit Melville, you will notice that throughout the community, there are a series of silhouettes dotting in the community. Depicting a person on a bike, a locomotive, and a conductor, a farmer, a hockey player, and a figure skater, an RCMP officer, a cowboy, a bison, and more, and in all, there are 30 figures depicted. These displays were made by local welders, and every figure depicts something from the local life and things to do in Melville, and they make a great place for a quick Instagram photo. I hope you enjoyed that episode of my look at Melville, Saskatchewan. If you did, please leave a rating and review. If you like, you can email me at Craig@canada.ehx.com. You can find me on Twitter, my handle is Craig Baird, C-R-A-I-G-B-A-I-R-D, and I'm on Instagram at Bairdo37. As well, again, if you want to support the podcast, you can for as little as $3 a month. Just go to patreon.com slash CanadaEHX, and you can donate to the podcast by going to -eh CanadaEHX.com and clicking donate. I'd also like to thank all of my wonderful patrons, and I apologize if I get any names incorrect. Michael Matthews, Joanna Parker, Jeff Dahl, Vobs, Robert Page, Richard D, Colin Johnson, Jeff Hershey, Kyle Murray, Steve Pakin, Matthew Gartho, Lionel Romaine, Dr. Bob Turner, an anonymous patron that I truly do appreciate, Randy Hayden, Doug Campbell, Reg W., Deborah Carlson, Francis Helbling, Nick Zinri, Shannon Marshall, Clinton Martinez, Dimitri Shove, Aaron O'Hara Myers, Robert Dunseith, Todd Casey, Catherine Roy, Luke Guess, JP Bear, Jason Hall, Phil Maynard, and Iris Gray. Thanks. We'll see you again next time.